Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. Today I'm talking about The Obelisk Gate, the second book in the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemisin. So let's network with the magic of books. Again, I wanted to say I really, really liked this book. Um, I liked it a little less than the fifth season, but I think this book is still up there as a great book. I felt like she top, she tackled a little bit fewer hard things in this book, but not no hard things in this book. She definitely still talked about some hard things and some tough decisions and problems, and it still works that way. But I feel like she went from talking about as many horrible things as she could to just a couple of horrible things, but really kind of delving deeper into them. And I liked that a lot. Now, what I didn't like, which I won't spoil, was the opening scene. And I'll get to why I didn't like that later. I, it did work, but it was not what I was expecting. And I was not sure that I really wanted it. I think her writing was, again, on point and just amazing and evocative. And everything she wrote was great. And I was glad that we got to learn a lot more about the lore of the world. And we got to learn more about what's going on. Now, one thing that I kind of did have an issue with, which isn't really a big spoiler, but... Sometimes it feels like nobody in this world can finish a conversation with each other. We are left with two or three words and a sentence, and then we move to a different scene. We either lose out or they just never seem to talk about it again. Or we go to another scene, and then they talk for a few sentences, and there's a lot left unsaid, and then it switches. And then, as it works for the story, and it make, it's fine, but sometimes I was like, can these people not just talk with each other can they have a sentence a conversation where they say three to four full sentences and then they stop like why why can't they just talk and figure some stuff out like that part drove me a little crazy but other than that i know that's a small thing it really didn't dis disrupt my enjoyment of the book at all so that's fine. And now we're going to, I'm going to talk, we're going to get into the spoilers now. And I'm going to talk about the three kind of main viewpoints that we get. I think we're going to go with an Essen. We're going to talk about Essen and everything that kind of happens in her section. We're going to definitely talk about Nasun and everything that happens with her. And then, of course, we're going to be talking about Shafa at least a little bit. And, of course, Hoa. Uh, as well so again like that starting scene that was brutal starting with the death of uke and jija just killing him because he noticed that there was a shiny rock in his pocket without actually seeing it and yeah she put in some statements at the front that right before you read that that you're like no one is to blame but jija like he would have figured it out eventually and you know that saying that hiding him wasn't an issue and him being born and being an erogene wasn't the issue but but the fault is with Jija for killing him. And I I really agree with that 100%. You know, Uke as a child, as a kid, he's basically a toddler. Nobody, you know, he should not be killed just because he has magic abilities or that because he was hidden and it was a surprise. Like that, 100% agree with what she was putting out there. And I thought the way she did it was really, really good. So Essen, her main goal in this book, which I felt like, I felt that this is definitely a character-driven book, right? And that's totally cool and great. I love it. But I feel like there was a lot less plot 
than we I was expecting. So in the last book, we learn that there's a moon and it's left. Maybe we learn that in this book that the moon is left. We just hear the word moon. We kind of have to make our own inferences from there in the last one. But yeah, I thought we would be closer to like catching the moon at this point, or there'd be more discussion about how to do it, that the plot would progress more. And while the plot does progress, I feel like it progresses a lot less in this book than in the first book. And again, that's fine. I'm just waiting to see what happens in the third book, and we can go about go through it there. Um, Essen is learning about magic, the, like actual magic from Alabaster, that it's a silvery thread-looking thing inside of Orogenes, and that's what gives them their ability, and you can connect to it in other ways, while Alabaster continuously turns to stone every time he uses it. Very cool. I like that he was able to teach her and use that to show her how to, you know, you can channel your Taurus and kill, like, the boil bugs and in other ways. But Alabaster and Asun are some of the worst, I feel like, when it comes to the can't finish a conversation, that they just will stop talking halfway through a conversation and leave. And that was part of what drove me crazy. Now I know what you're saying, and Alabaster is turning to stone, and he's dying, and, you know, cut him some slack. You know, he can't be this. But it's like, yeah, if he's in enough control to connect with these other obelisks and do things, then I'm sure he could finish a conversation and be like, all right, here's the deal, soon. The moon's coming. I've made some adjustments to it using the obelisk gate before. You need to catch it. Here's kind of what the goal plan is, and let's do it, right? Instead of all this weird, like, oh, I can't tell you, but I can sure teach you, and I'll leave you a hint that I hope you pick up, because if you don't pick it up, then, you know, luckily she picks it up. But it's like, come on, like, this has been your goal. This is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, just so much in her section. I was very surprised when Tonki grabs the the metal that is in the control room and it's the same type of metal that was in the socket and that it basically starts traveling up her arm and going to her sesapine, which is kind of where the magic slash the erogeny starts from and Essun has to get in there and stop it and she's trying to you know delve in between the blood that she can see with her her sessing and then she accidentally cuts Tonki's arm off oh boy that was surprising did not see that that was pretty crazy i loved asun just trying to you know she starts training the fulcrum the the orogeny kids not the fulcrum kids but she trains them similar to the fulcrum but not quite the same where she doesn't you know break their hand like she broke hers and like she did to nasun which we will talk about for sure and you know can you really blame asun Maybe, I mean, she did what she thought was right, and it was not quite the same civilization, the same calm where she is now, where it's out in the open, and, oh, it's a little shake, it's okay, he's just practicing. Whereas if Nasun or Uke had did that in their town, they would have been killed. And so, yeah, I can see Asun thinking, hey, this is a life or death, a broken hand is a lot less about life and death is a lot less and easier than dying right so i did like that i loved that she turns dictator near the end when the the army the other calm is outside the gates and like we'll starve you out we'll find your goal or find your gates and your air vents and we'll shut them up and they're the people in the calm are trying to decide you know oh we need to get rid of the rogas and she basically walks in and freezes everything except for them around them and it's like you will not vote if 
people can stay here or not. You will not put us to death just because we're we're rogas, we're erogenies. We can use the magic. You will unite and work together, or I will kill. I will rust and kill every one of you. Oh, that sentence was just. That gave me chills. It was like so perfect. It was so cool. I. I loved it. That scene was so good. Um, learning that obelisks are captured stone eaters, that was kind of crazy. And there's 256, which is kind of funny because that's the same in uh, ITU. You have about 254 IP addresses per network. And, and so that there's 254, I think, in this book. But that there's that many stone eaters and then that they are, you know, it's, it's the same. And like they're creating this big network, which was so cool. And the Onyx, which she calls, is kind of like the leader of the network and just more powerful than the rest. And when she actually opens the obelisk gate, okay, I was not admit ad- expecting it to be that kind of an obelisk gate. I was actually expecting it to be a gate of some kind or like a door that actually needed opening or something more than just connecting with the network. But, you know, that's fine. It worked. And I love that you have to have a goal. And as soon as your goal is completed, the network shuts down or you have to find a new goal really quick. And if you don't have a good enough goal, then you get absorbed into it and you just die, right? That was that was cool. And we learn that the price of using the obelisk gate and opening that is turning to stone. Now, why did Alabaster continue to turn to stone when using regular orogeny versus the the uh, gate because he was not using the obelisk gate every time he used his orogeny at least i didn't think he was maybe he was though i'm not sure but that was so cool her learning you know about nasun that she's alive and where she is through the obelisk gate and then i guess my question was another question i had was was the gate required for the season that alabaster started this fifth season did he start like a worse one or did he use the alba the obelisk gate to change things so that the moon would catch up and that was what required it and he just caused the season on his own so i don't know um i did love the parts of alabaster that we got where he went to live with the stone the stone eaters and he kind of learned their language and he found the hole that was drilled to the center of the earth which of course we do something stupid like that you know why wouldn't we drill down to the center of the earth just because and to get to the core and the mantle and that was like yep that's totally something we'd do and you know i totally believed it and hoa i loved all of our little hoa interludes that he's given us that he's talking about i'm a little worried because he is always saying that like i love you but i've betrayed you and i'm going to betray you and i'm using you just as much as you're using me and i'm interested to see what his actual goals are i know he doesn't want the stone eaters to win but i i have thoughts and i'll save them till the end because i have a prediction a couple predictions about what's going to happen in the end um Let's talk about Shaffa real quick, because um, we got a lot to talk about with Nasun and only so much time. So, man, guardians are durable. I did not think that Shaffa would survive that. I mean, even reading it, I thought we were just going to get his death scene. But broken bones, no issue. Concussions, m- multiple concussions, no issue. Drowning, no issue. When they're all separate. When they're all together, then that's worse. And, you know, it shows that. And then it shows him giving in to his core stone, which is the chip inside of him. What's a core stone? I don't know. Does it possibly come from the core of the earth? Probably. Um, I'm not sure how or, you know, it obviously uses magic and it gave him more strength and enabled him to survive. But you see the death of the real Shaffa. Like, like Shaffa as we knew him 
is gone. And it explains it very well and very clearly in the book that, and I love that part where it's like, this is the death of Shaffa. Now, Shaffa's body is going to continue on, but what makes it Shaffa isn't Shaffa anymore. And I just wanted to say that Shaffa's love is not real love. He's just loving her to use her, and it's forgotten impulses. I'm really glad that he doesn't want to kill Nasun all the time, but I don't think he truly loves her. And also, learning that the Father Earth that they reference is potentially like real and really angry like we knew it was angry but like that it's real and that there really is this thing that talks to them like i knew i know we talked about the corrupted core stones in the last book and where shafa has to kill another guardian because their core stone was corrupted but why is he able to fight it so effectively you know and why how i just don't understand so much how do they negate orogeny still obviously something with the core stone and that gives them their speed and their strength and just so much and he's shafa started this basically another fulcrum but like it's not the fulcrum it's just him being a guardian and him pulling the magic out of people okay so we get that like when he pulls the magic touches the back like he did with asun or demaya in the first book he touches the back of the neck and he pulls a little magic out so they can kind of trace you then that kind of supplants or like not supplants but like satisfies the core stone in some way and if you don't get enough of that then it can corrupt you even more I don't know. But when you use it on regular people, it kills them. And he straight up kills the entire family of that kid just because it's like, oh, Chef is not, he's still not a good person. He seems to be a better person than the first book than this, but he is definitely not a good person. And I think he's going to have some problems in the in the future in book three. Now, we have to talk about Nasun. And I'm sure there's more with Shafa, but that that's all I can say about him. He's very bad. Don't like it still. But Nasun, this is... This is probably the most heartachey chapter where now that we've, you know, learned that Asun was all three characters in the last book, now we're seeing Nasun and Asun's character has kind of already fulfilled off her character growth. We've seen from child to teenager to adult to older adult and now we're seeing Nasun and just her story is tragic. She walks in on her dad, who's killed her son, and she manipulates her dad and she knows like if I am not careful, my dad will kill me like he did Uke. And she has to grow up so quick. And her dad takes her somewhere. And I was a little confused how her dad just magically knew of a place to go. Like, I think in the beginning he was just running. But then he's like, oh, I know of a place where we can take you. And it's like, well, how? Like, I mean, this has never been hinted at anywhere in those other stories. But there was not a lot of hinting to be able to be done in those stories. So, But their their journey on the road and her just becoming a little bit even more merciless and just icing people. Now, one issue that I did have is that... I had a some, couple small issues with Nasun, but her skill with erogeny and magic, it can fall on both sides where it's realistic and unrealistic. I get that, you know, she's the daughter of Asun, who's a very powerful one, so she kind of has that innate skill, and Asun trained her, but Asun literally only trained, she's 10, right? So you figure, what, two to three years? before you can talk and be an adult and be a person and and like figure things out. So that's seven years of training. And then there was at least a year or two where she wasn't trained. Uh, So when she was five-ish, Asun put her through the same thing that she went through with the breaking of the hand. And if you don't, you know, ice anybody or try and do anything or react, then, you know, I won't train you anymore. And so I, I just wonder how much training she would have had before because 
she seems to wield her erogeny with extreme skill that is not hinted at in the very beginning of the book. And and then her progression with magic, where she starts seeing the threads, and she picks up on them way faster than soon. And I can see that from the side of, oh yeah, she's a child, she hasn't learned any bad habits. It just felt like super fast like that she learned this, and she connects with a an obelisk almost immediately and just is no issues with it using it whatsoever when anytime everybody uses it for the first time either maybe it's just because they're older you know it's a bigger thing and it's a tougher thing and it burns them out and she just does it like it's nothing and she does it repeatedly like it's nothing and so that was like uh i'm a little hesitant to say that a 10 year old could do all this stuff but you know a 10 year old in a very survivalistic kind of situation and they've been training for this but you know, so I've I've already aired my piece. I'm done with that. You know, uh, I did. It was kind of crazy when she turns one of her friends to stone by accident. Uh, that was interesting. And her dad, of course, that was such a sad storyline. Her dad loves her, but can't love her. And he's kind of rewriting his past in his own head to be like, oh, no, I didn't kill Luke. He just he had to die because he was an erogene. And, you know, not soon we're getting her treated so she could be cured. But nothing's wrong with her, of course. And that scene when she confronts her dad and she's like, there's nothing wrong with me. I want to do magic and erogeny. And he's like, no, you have to be cured. You're bad. And and then he, she you know, freezes everything around him, but leaves him safe. And he just screams the whole time. And then when he tries to kill her and she turns him to stone, that was just so heartbreaking. I don't, I mean, I don't identify with that super much because I've never been in these kind of situations, but like it just, it, it felt so painful. Now, another thing I maybe disliked a little bit was that her, her super unreasonable anger with her mom, like, yes, your mom did some bad things and you know taught you in a baby the worst way possible but like there's a lot of things that your mom did love you about and did help you with and like you haven't missed your mom once since you left and it's been you know a while like nothing and so that felt me a little odd like i know that she thinks that shafa loves her and that she thinks she loves him and that's the i mean i like it it's just interesting that she can see these threads in him and she wants to cure it and pull it out and i just such a it's such a interesting way to see love. I just, that part also turned me off a little bit. Her, her deep understanding of love. And the one time she does something similar to her mom breaking her hand, she kind of just ignores the fact. She like thinks about it for a few seconds. Like, oh, my mom did that to me. The same thing where she had to see if I would hold it in or, you know, kill somebody. And then she just is like, yeah, but my mom's a jerk and a piece of crap and I hate her. And it's like, whoa, that's like crazy. And then, of course, she meets Steel, the Stone Eater, and he wants... Obviously, I think we know what his goal is. His goal is to let the Stone Eaters win win, and to end the seasons. So I this is going to kind of be final thoughts. But I really liked Nasoon for like 99, 95% of everything about her. I just didn't like the intense skill with magic with very little being shown on our side. That she never had to do any training. She just kind of had it and was always better than everybody else with the magic. And then just the intense dislike of her mom and the the deep, deep thoughts about love. I just, about family love and love in general, I just thought they were a bit too deep for a a 10-year-old, no matter what kind of survival situation you're in. But I have a pretty realistic guess slash prediction for what's going to happen, of course. Hoa wants 
Esun to catch the moon and put it back in orbit, which would be good. And Steel wants to end the season by crashing the moon into the Earth. And, you know, near the end, Nasun seems to kind of be agreeing with that and being like, yeah, let's, I will follow you because you seem to know what you're talking about. And I predict a big mother-daughter confrontation over the network or the obelisk gate and their goals. The mother wanting to catch the moon, the daughter wanting to crash the moon and destroy everything. When I don't think she really wants to destroy everything, I think part of that could be her her age just not understanding exactly what's going to happen that you're going to kill everybody. Okay, sorry, another small little gripe about Nasun. I know that she's been in an area where killing people is okay because it's the fifth season, and but she certainly takes to it quite well, killing a bunch of people with not even a, a blink of an eye. I mean, Esun struggled with that for a while, and I kind of doubt that Esun was teaching her child and was like, okay, now when a season happens, it's okay to just straight up ice everybody and, you know, don't act like they're people or that they matter. So I just... That part was like, I get that she's that powerful or she could be, but like just the icing of people far away and the killing of her, some of her friends even. It's just like, okay, apparently she's just a psychopath and has no emotions. But back to the end goal, I think the mother and daughter will confront each other over the network because Nasun has the sapphire. I don't remember exactly which one it is. I'm sorry, but she has the her obelisk that she connects to quite frequently. And we know that Nasun's going to have to connect to all the obelisks before she can catch the moon. And so I, I predict a big confrontation between mother and daughter. And hopefully Nasun sees the light and doesn't crash the moon into the earth will nasun be stronger than her mother because nasun has better skill with magic i don't know i'm looking forward to finding out that's gonna be kind of an interesting situation so that's about everything i have for today for this book for thanks for listening to my discussion about the obelisk gate by nk jemison Thanks for listening, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music, of course. If you have any questions or comments, you can always send those to libromancypod at gmail.com. If you go to the website, libromancy.podbean.com, we have a, I have a calendar up on there that tells you what books we're going to be reading next, and you can always like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to help boost this up so more people can see it. So thanks for that, and always remember to network with the magic of books. <laughs>